Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 141 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am back home here in Lander, Wyoming for a month before I have to leave again, which is great. Some friends are going to come and visit to climb. Conditions are starting to get good. My training has been ramped up, and I'm really excited about that. I just got back from Minnesota, and I wanted to say a big thanks and a shout out to the folks over at Escape Climbing uh, for making the visit really educational and for working me half to death. I learned some really great things. Uh, the, the guys at Escape and I created some really cool things that are coming to all of you soon, specifically to home wall users. Um, I think I've made something pretty cool for you. Also to Minneapolis Bouldering Project for having me out and for uh, giving me a platform to speak on while there. I put together a talk about some of the big themes that I've learned in the podcast and and wove a narrative uh, throughout that theme. And I'm really proud of how it came out and I'll be beefing that up a little and hitting the road with it at some point in the future. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, next, I will be at Rocktoberfest in the Red River Gorge. Registration is open now, so go there, do that, and I will see you there. Just before Rocktoberfest, I will be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee at the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar. There are spots remaining open, so you can look right there on your pocket supercomputer click the link in the show notes and get registered for that performance climbing coach seminar. Come and see us. Some of the best coaching minds in the country, period. And I think this thing has gotten really, really good. So you should be there for it. All right. Today's episode is a little bit different. Uh, it's not as much of a deep dive into a particular subject, but more of me getting to know a friend a little bit better and a very, very interesting friend. Um, Lee Kujis, who I met in the Red River Gorge initially, we recognized each other because of our t-shirts. I was wearing a power company shirt. He was wearing an upskill climbing shirt, a blog he used to run back then. And this was in the very early days of power company climbing. And we recognized each other and began this... What became an online friendship over the years, I saw that Lee was coming back to the red and I made a point to make it out there and see him and sit down and chat. And then he and his amazing wife, Sam, talked Annalisa and I into coming to Australia. Over dinner at the Rock House, it all just sort of came to life. Really, this conversation is getting to know someone who is really, really interesting, an amazing climber. And if you aren't following him and you're a Moonboard fan, then you most definitely should be. Stick around after the show. I've got a special surprise for Lee 
and for all of you. Let's get into it. Me falling off a V4 or falling off a V5 or something on the moon board, I'm quite happy to post that because it's reality. You know, and I'm getting better, but it's a slow struggle. levels initially continue telling me about this eight to ten year plateau because i even though that sounds huge i think a lot of people are actually there whether they want to admit it or not yeah and like a lot of us are logging our ticks now we're putting our ticks in 8a.nu or the crag.com or one of the online things and they, these things are they're great for they're great for showing you what you've been doing year on year. Yeah. And I think that's real because, you know, and... That's like, why we, we, I don't look at mine. <laughs> because cause if I did, I'd see that I'm on a steady decline right now. I think I you do look, look at it. That. I think you look at it. I think you know. <laughs> no, I do but, for sure. No, I think that, but that's what keeps you honest. And if, if we're interested in improving, which most of us are, well, and it can be maintaining as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, you know, it's wherever your mindset is at the time. It's it's wanting to be able to maintain your level or increase your level. You know, a way to track that over time and look at it and have a really objective view on it, I, I think is really important. Um, and when I look at mine, I see the world's biggest plateau. It's the biggest straight line that just goes back and back and back. Um, yeah, eight, ten Maybe nearly fifteen years, I reckon. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a really, it's a really long plateau, which you know I, I see as being both positive and negative. Positive because hey, there hasn't been a huge injury in there. To right, there's not a big drop off. You're getting older. It's not like this. Yeah, fifteen year plateau continues, and you don't age. You It'd know? be nice if there was a you know an age modifier. <laughs> there would that would be great. If I could get that and sell it on my website, that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, what I'm trying to do with my climbing is I, I still, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of us are there where we're, so I'm, I'm now, I'm 41 and I'm still thinking, yeah, I've got, my best days are ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I got more to do. And I think that's a really big, important part of it, right? You have to believe it first. It's not going to happen if you don't believe it. I mean, this shit doesn't just pop out of thin air. It's, it takes work. Definitely. And I think as you, as your age and as you learn more, you're, uh, you, you're always making a decision and, and I, and I see, I mean, as a young climber, I definitely, I definitely hung out with a lot of, I gravitated towards older, uh, role model climbers for me. Like it was Mm -hmm. an apprenticeship system. This is like, we're talking mid nineties. So it was look at the guys that are doing the stuff that I want to do and hang out with them and emulate them. And they, they were, they were 20 years older and I'm still like, I'm still, you know, friends and climbing partners with these guys. Um, and you can learn a lot from that. Yeah. Um, and that was really critical. That was critical in my development. And I, I see, I see sort of the, the way their mindset has shifted as they've gone through their forties and now fifties and soon it'll be sixties. Um, you know, for some of these guys and it's, it's making the decision, do I think my best days are ahead of me mm-hmm. or do I think 
my best days are behind me and, and am I looking to try to maintain? Or if it's not maintained at the highest level, what level do I want to maintain? What do I want to do with what my climbing? What level am I satisfied with? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, is it that decision that if I can't climb at my, you know, at whatever I, whatever level I think, should I just take up golf? Right. Or, golf is way harder than climbing. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question for you. So, I, I think that mentorship um, situation is, I don't think it's necessarily dying off though it is getting very diluted and there's so many more climbers and so many fewer mentors. And that begs the question, how does the like video age and Instagram age, social media age mentorship differ? Because in when we were coming up, we would see a magazine article but the only way you ever really got to know your the people that you looked up to was by seeing them at the crag, hanging out with them. There wasn't more than that. A lot of people now think they can be connected to a Chris Sharma because they see him doing things all the time. And, and it, it seems like, oh, I could learn from what he's doing. And I think in some ways you can. But it also provides this this totally false life, you know, that, that isn't a real thing. And I think that's a, that's a tough way to learn. So you see guys like Drew Mack, who we're both friends with, he's doing it the in-person way. He's injecting himself and himself into these situations and learning from people directly. And he has great mentors what do you think the dangers are for these kids coming up who just see the social media? Yeah, social media is a definitely a hot topic and I see it because this is new in your climbing life for both of us. Like we didn't start in the social media era. Well, not even not not starting in the social media era. It, it sort of goes back to not even have, you know, this is it was pre-internet. Right. So, as soon as you say pre-internet, it, it it ages us horribly, but at the same time, it's... I'm going to cut it, that part out of the podcast. Yeah, we'll, we can fix, <laughs> fix that in post. Um, the, the tricky thing was, was that if the internet was there and we were doing it, because remember, it, that, that first three years of your climbing, you are so psyched. Yeah. You're probably the most psyched you'll be for your whole, because it's all totally. new. Yep. Everything's new. And that learning is so fun. And if the internet was available to us, we would have used it. We would have hammered it mm -hmm. because you are just hungry for knowledge. You're at that formative time where you're, you just want to, I can, I can, I know that on your shelf, there'll be a whole bunch of, uh, you know, old rock and ices and, and those, oh, those yeah. first, those first I donated 20 boxes of them to the gym. You I don't need it in anymore. Cincinnati. No, yeah. you can just that you, you're past that. But in your early climbing career, you read those and you could over you could, and over and over. You could memorize them. You I knew which articles were in which cover. I remembered the cover of every magazine, and if I wanted to read an article, I'd know which one it was in by the color of the spine. There you go. And that's and so that's what we had. And in Australia, of course, we only had the one. You know, we didn't. the The amount of literature was was not as we didn't have the depth right. that you have here in the states. What is the big magazine there? Well, the big magazine is is gone. The big magazine was was rock 
magazine. Rock magazine, right, yeah, right. That was that was that was produced for, you know, more than more than twenty years until it's um, you know, gradual demise of the mm. demise of print and just like we've yeah. seen with some of the mags in the States as yeah. well. Um but yeah, same deal. There wasn't much in the way of information. It was pre internet and therefore you were trying to figure stuff either figure stuff out yourself or you actually had to rely on mentors. So the idea of mentors and the mentorship thing that we think is so so important because we were you know brought up on that idea um, was a necessity because for, probably for two reasons. One is it was really difficult to get information any other way. We talk about you know guys over here would have had the the Royal Robbins you know book. That's that's right. the one that they were basic rock basic craft. rough craft. That's the one that they were looking at and. Um, Eric Hurst was just bringing out the, the yeah. first few of his yeah. uh, the how to climb five twelve absolutely those, that yeah. that all that stuff was was starting to be produced that that series um, there wasn't a lot else available to us and we relied really heavily on mentorship to a give us basic information and, and b at that time the safe climbing on sport routes was it was not a thing where where I was from there was a few bolts. There wasn't really anything like sport routes in the way that we think of them today in right. terms of like where you would climb up with, you know, a body length and a half between bolts to a lower off where you could lower to the ground. In in the state that I'm from, which is, you know, let's say it's <clears> as big as we're sitting in the Red River Gorge right now. And, um, you know, the state that I'm from, let's say it's as big as Kentucky. It's probably a bit bigger. There might have been a handful of what we might term sport routes at the time that I started climbing. And right. if I didn't have that mentorship support at that time very easy to wander off into a thrill zone and get completely annihilated and look we definitely had our share of scary moments yeah in the first few years yep um yeah know. that's something i've pointed out quite a bit because i am lucky in the sense that red river gorge was close to me when i started climbing you know but it it isn't or it wasn't then the red river gorge that we think of now there were only a handful, less, fewer than 10 bolted lines under 510, wow. you know, or 510 and under. There just weren't many easy bolted lines. That's crazy to think of now, isn't you know? it? Yeah. So, you know, you had your handful of easy things to learn on, but if you weren't climbing trad routes, which you needed someone teaching you the ways, then, you know, you only had those couple of routes to apprentice on so to speak yeah i mean getting back to the point of because we sort of we spoke about mentorship and now we have this you know paucity of of mentors that are available and maybe it's not even that of course there's heaps of people climbing now there's more people climbing than yeah, ever yeah so it's not that there's fewer mentors i suppose what we're seeing is um less obvious tangible Seeing, seeing it at the crag, mm -hmm. examples of mentorship. What we see now is we see groups of people that are at a similar level that have probably come from a gym environment where we have typically one person, probably similar age to the rest of the group, that has maybe a year more experience than the rest right, of the group, right. who is who, who then by by default becomes kind of almost the leader of of that group, mm -hmm. and they're, they're and so it's it's the the little knowledge is a dangerous thing, and he has a little or she has a little bit more knowledge than the rest of the group, and so there is a mentorship, but rather than rather than the mentorship with the depth of knowledge like a a, a ten plus year 
um, you know, knowledge, um, the opposite of deficit, um, surplus on yeah. the rest of yeah, the group, yeah. mm-hmm. the knowledge surplus, like the, we've, we've got somebody with a really small knowledge surplus, um, mentoring the rest of the group. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad. Uh, it's, it's what's naturally evolved. I think these days, it's what mm-hmm. we see. Um, and does it aid progression in the same way that, um, you know, I I think the quality of the mentorship probably leads to the quality or the, and the the speed of, of development of, of the, of the mentee, the person that's being, being taught. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot, there's a lot more, um, you know, that, that person, um, can point out the pitfalls. I mean, more, more than anything else, that was the big thing is like, okay, this is what I did that was wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the way I trained that got me really injured uh, and gave me chronic chronic elbow and shoulder problems. Right. Um, and this is how you could probably avoid that. I mean, th- those kinds of things, um, root selection, um, the the way to move through an area as a as somebody that lives there, like what you should do right. um, to you know, and, and being given those examples, that, that was all the critical stuff. And now if we're trying to substitute social media for, for real, real life mentors, uh, in the flesh, as you said, I see it as being a, it, it's a dangerous area to play because what we're seeing and like, I don't want to use the same kind of examples all the time, but basically it's, it's very filtered. Um, and we're only really seeing, um, one view of the world for a person it's a it's a highly curated view um and it's very it's very reductive Mm -hmm. so what we see on social media and look you're on social media and i'm on social media and i like to i like to i actually like to i always have like to produce content so i've always liked to you know i I used to blog a lot and and produce guidebooks and 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 do you ever feel conflicted about that yeah absolutely yeah i do do because i yeah but at the same time i uh, (laughs) absolutely feel conflicted and at the same time try to you know my last little thing that i've been doing is um going into my instagram feed and actively blocking any of the let's call them fake or robot um climbing related accounts post those things recently (laughs) yeah cracks me up well people are trying to i I, and it's i guess it's what do you use for example and i'll use instagram as an example because i'm on on instagram and i'm not on some of the other um platforms but what do you use that for well i use it to get psyched i use it to get inspired i want to see what my friends are doing and people that maybe aren't my friends, but who I look up to because they're doing amazing stuff. Um, and I just want to see what they're climbing. Right. Totally. I just I just want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's it. Show me what Seb Juan, who I don't know, amazing French phenom, mm-hmm. he, he wants to go and do move. He wants to go and do the second ascent of move of Adam Andre's move. I want to know how that's going. Yeah. I don't know the guy, but it makes me super psyched. Yep. And when I see that, this young guy... Um, I, I want to get back into the shed and train. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I want to use Instagram for. Yep. Um, what I don't want to use Instagram for or have people use Instagram, you know, against me is to sell climbing t-shirts. Right. Um, using, using the Korean robot factory farm of, of Instagram with, which, you know, are these fake accounts that follow you and then, and yep. then post pictures of, um, you know, 
of of climbing t-shirts right that's what i don't want so the the commercialization aspect of Instagram really annoys me, and so I'm 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 super you know, I'm super against it. Um, but of course, I still use it, and I I want to I want to share what I'm doing with my um you know with my my tribe as well. Yeah, you yeah, know? same here. And I'm I mean I use it also as a commercial platform. Like I'm I'm trying to sell the things that I make, but but I also know that I'm giving a lot back to the community and providing them with content that they want. Um, so it's, it's a different thing than the Korean robot factory farm, you know, selling t-shirts, but it does make me feel a little conflicted sometimes. I think people and using it purely like for somebody like yourself and I, I've, you know, I've, in the past I had a similar, you know, I, I ran a coaching business as well and mm -hmm. I definitely used media to, to promote, uh, what we were doing there. And look, there was a, there's a lot of positivity that comes, and this is my big thing. I think, you know, we, we have a choice with everything that we do with media uh, and our engagement with our peers um, in any, whether that's, you know, interpersonally at the crag or whether that's online, we've got a choice. We can either be negative about something, uh, cut somebody down, um, take a negative of, uh, view on somebody's, uh, on the way they conduct themselves or uh, what they might have sent or something like that. Or we can take a really positive view and try and build people up, yep. um, be positive and creative in the way that we uh, express ourselves and, and that kind of thing. And I definitely, I think the easy way out always is to look for the negative. Um, and in the Australian culture, that's, a, that's definitely the tall poppy syndrome uh, in the Australian culture. And this is not climbing related. This is in the Australian culture, um, full stop, is very pervasive. So look at who's doing a really you know who's at the top of their game who's uh who's doing amazing stuff and just look for the negative try and cut them down right make yourself feel better that's yeah. very pervasive in the culture and so i'm really and it's the easy way out and it's very easy to do definitely i'm there, there was so much of that in the early in the internet forum world so we're talking oh yeah i was i was a part of it yeah I, yeah <laughs> i definitely was a part of that <laughs> it's 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 the easy thing to do and I, I made a conscious decision after being involved in it and, yeah. you know, particularly in the forums and, and that kind of stuff and, mm -hmm. and just wanting to win forum arguments and, and that kind of stuff yeah. and did that for a lot of years and just realized that, you know, ultimately once you've spoken about every, there's only a few topics you can speak about in climate. Yeah. And once they've gone round the, uh, round the trap, you know, three and four and five times and you, you know, then somebody brings up the idea of bolting at an area again. Yeah. And you just uh, you just you just post the URL link and say just read this. We don't need to do this again. Uh, that you make a conscious decision about. All right, I want to I want to make sure that if I'm not saying something nice, I'm not going to say anything yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, there's enough people spouting negativity, so I'm going to try and be positive. Um, and that's still I still try to do that today, but at the same time, I'm almost seeing the. I'm almost seeing the pendulum swing the other way, meaning that the online world used to be full of haters and negativity, and to an extent, it still is. But now, what we're seeing, um, and look at you know, look at climbing as the as the sport. There's a lot of fakery. There's a lot of yeah. that. It, there's a lot of what I would, and, and positivity that is not genuine to me, is as hurtful as outright negativity that is I truthful. Completely agree. 
and I, I think it's something of a product of this um, participation trophy era that, you know, the I don't want to just, just call out the millennials and blame it on them because I don't think that's the case, but but their generation is definitely growing up in this era of everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a ribbon. And, and I think that leads to a lot of fake positivity um, that, you know, and a lot of these posts that are, oh, it doesn't matter if we fail. It's all about the journey. And, and while I believe that's true, most of it that you see posted is, is just fake. You know, and I would love to hear someone be real once in a while and talk about how bad it hurts to fail. And it's not okay with me right now to be failing. I'll get over it. I'll come back and try again. But it did hurt, you know, instead of just it's all flowers and roses and balloons all the time. Yeah, because and and if we tie this to mentorship, I think the the slippery slope that we're setting up for ourselves is that these new climbers they're looking at you know they've got their 500 you know key people that they're following on instagram and they're basically seeing that why is my life not stacking up right. against all, all i'm seeing is non-stop it's all it's all a plus yep everything is sends everything is high fives everything is traveling mm-hmm. everything is sponsorship i don't have to work uh, I'm basically just going from from you know first class first class airline ticket to first class airline ticket right, and right. staying in great digs, not having to do anything and going climbing. Yep. There's and what we got to say is guys like that's that's not what it's like for most people. Totally. Um, it's it's actually really not what it's like for anyone. Mm-hmm. There'd there'd be just a a couple of people that would have the the unbelievable dream lifestyle, and that's in a you know a sport of you know. However many, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of participants, it's really, it's really not like that. We need a dose of reality. Yep. Um, we should use social media for, for what it's for, and that's for, for sharing um, the good and the bad, um, and not try to not be so reductive um, and not be so duplicative, you know, with what we're trying to do, which is, you know, if I'm coming up and climbing, um, I don't need to copy somebody else's post. I don't need to, to show that. And that's what we do because yep. like anything, we identify as climbers. That's great. So we're a big tribe of climbers. We look up to whoever we look up to. And in order to belong, we want to be then producing and, and posting the same kinds of things that, that they are. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I think what we're starting to see... And I, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it on the podcast. I'm hearing it with things that you've done in, in, in the, the last five or six podcasts as well. This idea of authenticity um, and being real is people are becoming more wise to that and people yeah. are starting to understand the importance of it. Um, and with some of these athletes that have, have struggled with this idea in the past, they're, they're now starting to do things to show that, that they too believe that it is important. Um, yep. So some athletes that have been misunderstood in this area that have that, that are now coming out and, and really showing the community, yeah, look, you know, there's there's flaws to my life and there's flaws in my in my climbing resume and I'm going to look to address that because that's mm-hmm. that's what I want to choose to choose to do now and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's really good and I think people are like anything; it takes a while, but I think what people are going to start to see is they're going to start to call out. 
in the same way that I'm calling out the Korean robots, people yeah. are going to start to, and it doesn't have to be vocally calling out people that are that are posting stuff that they believe are fake, but in the same way that we've got ad block, you know, the ad yeah. block, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. we that, that that concept of now ad blindness. So people are looking at stuff on their on their computer, and even if they don't have ad block on. That right sidebar that's popping up with ads, they don't even see it. Don't even notice it anymore. You don't even see it. Yeah. And on Instagram and on social media, if it's fake, if it's, you know, if it's reductive, people are going to start to become wise to it. Yeah. They're going to have to. And the people that are going to start to be be lauded, I think, are the ones that are going to, uh, that are showing that they are more real, um, that they post, they post more of themselves and, and, and the good and the bad. Yep. They're the ones that are showing probably the kinds of behaviors and qualities that we would more expect with um, the mentors of old because they're showing the good and the bad. And when I used to sit in the car for an hour and a half on the way to the cliff with my mentor that I was going out to the cliff with, I wasn't just getting a rosy um, a rosy view of the world. Uh, right. As we as we conversed for for an hour and a half on the way to the cliff, I was getting everything, yep. um, and that shaped me as a human being, and that was really important. Probably more important than actually the time spent at the cliff was the personal interaction, seeing the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just understanding that it's part of this greater life. You know, it's not just this thing on the internet that you see and you go and do on the weekends. Um, it it really becomes a part of the people who are investing in it like you and I have, like your mentors did, like my mentors did, it becomes a, the key part of their entire life, you know, and everything revolves around it. Their emotions revolve around it. And I think that's, I think that's a part that we don't understand through social media that it, it's not, like you said, it's not all just sponsorships and first class airline tickets and, you know, all of the challenges in life happen at the same time. So, it's absolutely, a, it's it's a tricky subject, and we went way off the path of where we were going to start here, um, which is totally fine. You know, I love having these conversations, but let's let's get back to you a little bit. I would I would love for you to like. I don't do histories on here generally of people. Um, but I would love for people to have an idea of what your climbing looked like leading up to this 10, 15 year plateau, as you called it. Um, and just so we can know where we're starting. So talk to me about like the, the very brief version of starting climbing, where that was and what that looked like for those first 15 years or so. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned, I'm live work was born in Australia. I was, um, I I started climbing around about 18. It was kind of the end of school, beginning of university for me. It's when I started. So it was kind of late, um, compared to, to some people. Um, but it was at that really formative time when you still like, that's definitely, I think that end of school, beginning of university is when you're trying to, you're doing all your figuring out. Mm-hmm. stuff it's when you're very keen on and a lot of the things that you pick up i think at that age um stick with you for life yeah that's kind of the time where you know if it's if it's something that's really important at that time probably from a values point of view it's going to stay important for the rest of your life 
Um, that's why I think, you know, people, and it's probably less so in Australia, but I definitely see it in America, um, you know, this idea of professional sports. Right. Where we see so many of these athletes that, <clears throat> and, and look, they're not lucky enough to get into climbing. They're in these very high-impact sports where maybe they're, you know, it's four- and five-year career. Mm-hmm. Um, really difficult because I can imagine that completely consumes your life. And, yeah, it has um, to, I think. And then it becomes very difficult to break out. Right. Um, we are so lucky. How, how lucky are we to get into climbing? I know, um, this thing we can do for damn near forever. So Amazing. So, How like, did you find it? Was it, it through friends, through... It was actually my, 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 my mom took me to a climbing gym. Cool. Almost on a whim. You know, I, I just... At 18. Yeah, and it just said, in fact, she got taken. So she got taken to a, a gym from, uh, by one of her friends. <laughs> cool. um, and my mom's not that much. Like, she had me when she was quite young. So yeah. the age gap is not, not huge for us. Yep. Um, so, yeah, she, she got taken to a gym and she pretty much hated it and said, but I know someone who will really love this. Mm. And, um, yeah, so at, that, at the time I was, you know, standard stuff i was mountain biking um you know all all the things i still kind of like to do like fishing and you know i was i ended up doing marine biology as my uh you know as my degree so super psyched on all of the very individual sports based yeah you know no team sports yep um you know and and a lot of those kind of similar traits that a lot of climbers come Mm -hmm. come with um you know definitely a propensity for doing things individually and challenging yourself and, yep. you know, rather than up against others and all those kind of things. So climbing fit really nicely. And, you know, even I, from the start, loved it, wasn't particularly good at it and really had to just, you know, it was the passion more than anything else. People get into climbing these days and you see the, the few um, really interesting examples where people are climbing at a really high level really quickly. Real quick, that yeah. was not the case for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, as we've mentioned earlier, like that idea of information being really hard to come by in the pre-internet days, it was like, well, you know, we we made our own harness out of, you know, with a soldering iron and mm. plastic rope. And then we used the same plastic rope to go and basically go climbing at the local quarry. Um this is what we did. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, none of that, you didn't have any money and none of the information was available. So you just tried to figure stuff out yourself. And, you know, we managed to survive that first, right. you know, first yep. experience until someone, thank you, you know, mentor number one, uh, who rolled in and said, oh, guys, you're going to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Here, you can have some, you know, and it happened to be the guy that, you know, worked at the, um, worked at the local climbing shop, managed to squirrel away, you know, uh, you know, 45 foot piece of rope. Here you go. You can try not to kill yourself and do some top belays on, yeah. on, on this thing. And, you know, so for those first couple of years, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was climbing at probably, I'm going to say like a, you know, I have to do the conversions, but like a five, six, five, seven level for like the first three years of climbing. Right. right. Yep. Yep. So I really, you know, quite a, I'll use the term modest level. Um, remembering there were no, there were no really no sport routes. You did so, just hear the episode with Drew Mack where he said five fourteen were moderates, right? Moderates, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just want to make sure you'd heard that. Just remember, climbing is a diverse sport. <laughs> there may be cultural differences as well. <laughs> so yeah, the first few mm. years were it was it was a struggle. No real, no true. Uh, in terms of take you outcome climbing with me mentor that didn't right. that didn't exist at that point and probably if we fast forward to about probably 5 or 6 years into climbing it's when uh 
well, probably, and um, I'm, I'm talking maybe we're at a five, five, ten B C kind of level of, of climbing is, is where I was at. And, um, that's when I managed to, and I don't even remember how it happened, but I managed to get, you know, and treat it as the, the invite from the local mm, hard man. Yep. Would you like to come out to the pulpit and the pulpit for anyone that lives in, in Queensland is this, you know, very small crag 50 routes, um, but it was, it's on private land. It can be, and now is it's changed hands a couple of times and it's still difficult to access. Um, but it's the, it's the hard man cliff, you know, and there were the routes there up to, you know, 13 C, 13 D, that kind of thing. And like that, which was just astronomical. And, um, for me at that time, and that became, you know, that, that one invite and the subsequent seven years of going there nearly every weekend with those same, the same mm-hmm. crew of motivated locals, yep. um, was the thing that allowed my climbing to transform into pretty much what it is today from like just running around like a chicken with your head cut off with really no idea, no direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of progression that a lot of people completely skip over and miss. And, and frankly, I think that the, the people who are those, I want to take everyone out and I want to show everyone how to climb and I've got this delusion of grandeur about my own climbing. I think those people are some of the worst at holding people back. Um, you know, those those initial mentors for people, if you don't choose wisely who your mentors are, if you just say, oh, I'm just going to go climbing with whoever, then I think it can very quickly become this the person leading the group and always wanting to be the expert can hold everyone back. It's when you find that group of people like you found taking you out to the pulpit who genuinely want to see you progress and, and don't care if you, in fact, maybe want to see you progress past them. I think that's the group you have to hold on to. And it can be tough to know what that group is. That's a challenge. Like that, all those things that you mentioned. That that's all. That's all really real as well. Because as soon as uh, it's getting to a stage where maybe you, you know, and it, that kind of uncomfortable position where it's looking like the is is the student going to outpace the teacher? Right. Um, that's uncomfortable. It is, and it can be uncomfortable for both parties. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. Um, you know, the person coming up is they're really psyched, and it's looking like they're going <clears> to <throat> do they're going to do really well. Um, and it's obviously uncomfortable for, it can be uncomfortable for, um, you know, for the, for the teacher as well, um, who probably held the position as, as, you know, as the local, you know, hard man. And I use that term asexually, um, hard man, hard girl, doesn't really matter. Um, you know, for, for some number of years. And I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's definitely tricky. And yeah, that was, that was tricky for me as well. And then, you know, after, and I suppose where you were going with this is, is speaking about this big plateau, which I mentioned, um, you know, this 10 plus year plateau, I think being exposed to, um, the same group of people, cause qu- the Queensland climate community at that time. So the state that I was, that I was in, um, small number of people, mm-hmm. um, great climbing, really, really good quality climbing, very diverse, um, lots of different rock 
styles and types leading to you know you could go strap knee pads on and once we figured out what those what those were we had yeah. to almost invent them basically it was before all of the current crop but we've got great cave climbing there and you know you've got that and then you had amazing slab roots and multi pitches and everything in between so there was good variety it wasn't like we were climbing the same stuff so that was good as a you know it's great to have variety early in your career right that's really cool um but there was a small amount of people and i think the that idea of training knowledge and um and wanting to improve so i could do what my mentor did which was and i can say it was heavily circuit based so you know doing endurance circuits and stuff like that um got him to where he 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 got to uh i am i emulated that that's what i that's what i knew And, and it got me to where you know to that basically you know around that kind of 13 d ish kind of level around there and then it around there is when everything just started to yeah. kind of level out. Yep. Um, you can only do the same, you know, that, and we're talking really, you know, seven years of progressive training, but of a very similar stimulus right? Uh, for, for a long time. And, and the, the gains were, the gains were great, you know, going from, you know, a high five ten to, you know, into the five thirteen kind of level was, mm-hmm. was terrific. That's fantastic. Um, but then you kind of stay there. Right. You don't change it up. And so, I mean, only in the last, you know, I uh, since then have got into, you know, even back then was was very into bolting routes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even early, really early in my in my climbing career, I was really interested in first ascents and, and, and doing new things. And so it meant, okay, well, if I've climbed out this particular area, which is where it kind of got to, okay, let's start bolting new areas to try to broaden you know, broaden the climbing horizon, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and that was, you know, that in and of itself bolting, I don't know how Danny Andrada does it. Like, oh man. It's really hard. It's and hard work. You, you don't, if you do it for a long time, you don't actually get stronger. You get weaker because you're right. actually, you're really trashed and it makes it hard to train and hard to recover. Yeah. So to do it year in, year <clears throat> out and, and just bolting new routes at the rate that that guy does. And I know there's a lot of guys like him, but I do, I, I put him on a bit of a pedestal because he's bolted so many routes and still done, you know, so many thousands of routes, you know, um, over 8A. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just incredible that he can maintain the rage. Um, but I always think about him when I'm hanging on a rope in a cave um, with my abs screaming, just thinking, oh, it's going to take me three days to recover from this. Mm-hmm. That could have been three days that I could have spent quality training. Yep, exactly. Um, but, you know, getting into bolting and doing that kind of stuff was, re- you know, that was really beneficial. And I saw it as a creative way to, you know, further, you know, my own my own climbing as well as like open up things for the, the community as well. And that was great. And then in the last kind of three years, it was, all right, let's make the, let's make a decision. I've been in this, let's call it, big fish in a small pond type scenario where I feel like I've climbed most of the things that I can climb in my state. Let's go. Let's change it up. Let's just get dropped into a really big pond. And, um, and yeah, we picked up and moved like three years ago and, and to it, to the blue mountains, which is, you know, Australia's answer to the red river gorge. Basically, you know, we've got five or 6,000 routes all within, you know, 35 minutes of, of the door and it's completely hit the reset switch for, my climbing and my mindset. Yeah. Was that the main reason that you moved? Was that the driving factor? 100%. It was literally the decision that I love climbing. I love climbing as much now as I did, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. But it is becoming increasingly difficult to 
come up with new ways to entertain myself and progress and and do what I want to do. And I feel like, you know, we were getting to the stage where we were actually driving into the, we were driving two and a half hours one way every weekend. That that's a single drive into the next state in order to bolt and develop roots. Right. Um, for two years we did that, um, and so. We're, you know, you zombies, you rock into work on Monday morning. It's a yeah. great feeling, isn't it? When you're yeah. in your Monday, Monday morning <laughs> meeting, people, people who are listening to this, they know what I'm talking about. The, the Monday morning meeting, like people that you kind of looking around the room and there's, there's just a couple of people with their eyes completely glazed mm-hmm. and you know that they don't even drink, you know, like what have these guys been doing? Like they are absolutely slaughtered. I was one of those guys. Yeah. Like I'm a total zombie. Monday, Tuesday, I'm, I'm ruined. Mm-hmm. My boss knew it was great. Like I work for a guy. Um, who is a climber himself. Uh, so he understood. Is, he understands. He's like, it was, I know what you've been doing. I know what you've been doing. You're absolutely destroyed. Yeah. And so, yeah, it got to the stage where it's like, look, we have to, we got to figure out, sit down and figure out, me and my wife, Sam, what do we, where do we want to be? Do we, do we stay here and, um, or, or do we completely change it up? You know, one of those fundamental life decisions. Um, and look, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to play it. You know, it's, um, change the job or hashtag van life or right, you know, right. there's so many ways to play it <laughs> and that decision you know it's a really critical one and you only make you know a handful of those in your life about like where do you want to be what do you want to do um that was one of those fundamental ones but the driver that you asked was definitely driven from climbing yeah that's really cool and that's you know that's one of those things i was talking about where you you don't get to see those kind of agonizing decisions on the social media and you know if you if your mentor is going through that or if you are a mentor to someone else going through it then they get to see it and or you get to see it whichever way that it happens and I think that's really important did do you ever feel like you did it all backwards that you should have spent more time bouldering hard when you were younger less time doing endurance work and that that would be more beneficial for you? Have you ever? I do now. I actually do. Yeah. Um, Only because I just said it, or <laughs> no? I've been thinking about it for a You're while. Like, God, you just totally destroyed me. <laughs> no, I'm I'm always amazed when I look at if if I wanted pure, you know, if I look at my climbing now and and I wanted to, you know, I've got certain certain goals that I want to achieve and certain routes that I want to do, and I think I'd be able to do those routes, um, you know more quickly and more effectively. I think there's two ways to approach climbing. One is that you, and, and people move through the different zones of climbing. Like I've been, I've got this big, you know, in my formative years, it was trad climbing because it had to be. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into a big base of sport climbing and almost no bouldering. Training, yes. Yep. So we have, uh, very, we have parallel lives here. We do. You just have a way cooler accent. <laughs> <laughs> It plays well here uh, and not at home. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to, I just want to use the word 13 because I say it like that, but you say 13. 13. 13. Yeah. yeah. I, I and say I'm it trying like that. to, uh, I'm actually trying to moderate my, uh, my accent somewhat just so that I can be understood um, <laughs> without putting on the proper Aussie. I'm, I'm going to come to Australia just so slang. I can hear the real thick. Australian Lee accent. Yep. Although being here in Kentucky, like we get to like, you know, I can travel around the States and get different accents, but I I must say I love, you know, it's just fantastic. I feel like I'm getting a really immersive experience here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
What were we talking about? We were talking about, oh, I just had Bouldering. Bouldering, yeah. Bouldering, yeah. So, what I see now, and tell me if you, you think this is accurate, there are two ways to approach climbing. One is to come in with definitely a roots focus. So, you want to climb, you know, you go into the gym, you're climbing a lot of roots, you're not doing heaps of bouldering, and then you go outside and you climb a lot of roots, and you're not doing a heap of bouldering, you're doing some training, but you're mostly focused on climbing roots. And Mm -hmm. Uh, there's positives to that yep. and I could start to list them off and, that, and I'd, I'd say things like engrams and I'd say things like technique and I'd say things like um, headspace, mental game. Tactics. Um, yeah, there's so many cool yeah. cool things that you pick up coming from climbing or, or approaching climbing routes with with that frame or, or that backdrop. The other way to approach it is to get really beastly strong bouldering. So you're, you're – and then – and then start to interleave or fold root climbing into a base of bouldering. Yep. And I see, well, I mean, a great example, and I've got lots of examples, but like the, the one that stuck out um, was when Nale Hakataival went and climbed Silbergaya Sil- yeah. in the Radicon. Yeah. In, in the not very. The exact opposite of what he does on boulders. Uh, the exact opposite. And not only that. And of course, he's now done things on on our our very famous Taipan Wall. And if you yeah. if you guys haven't or you don't know what Taipan Wall is, I suggest you you no, Google up some photos Google of photos. Yeah, you need to see this. It's, it's basically it's uh, one of my dream locations. Yeah, it's one twenty twenty. That's the plan. Awesome. We'll see you there because it's one of the world's top five walls anywhere in the world. So think Rockland Stone, but um, you know, and I can't do maybe two hundred feet high or something something along those lines. It's just amazing. Three pitches high, Rockland Stone. Um. Yeah, hundred roots, fantastic. That anyway, so good. And he's done. You know, he's he's gone and done. You know, nine A plus type roots right. that are that are now sitting sitting there on on the Taipan wall. And this is a guy that just goes and <laughs> stacks pads and um does high balls and goes bouldering and and pulls really hard moves. But he's by no means is he a root climber. But it just shows. And look. Jimmy Webb's done similar. Daniel Woods has done similar, yep. and a lot of local heroes in Australia are now doing doing similar. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from a, a bouldering focus, um, and really just coming out to to the hardest roots of the area and crushing them very quickly. Yeah. Uh, whereas a, somebody with a roots background, it's the idea of the pyramid. <clears throat> I'm going to do all the roots at this level before I'm going to do another route at the next level, and then I'm going to build this pyramid. That's a very look, you know. The pyramids—they're still standing today. They take—they yeah. took a long time to build. Yep. My pyramid's taken me a long time to oh, build. Yeah. Has it been super beneficial <laughs> in helping me reach the highest of highs? Well, probably not. But you know, look—I'm not injured. I've got a really good um, background of of not being injured. I think the the bouldering way might be um, potentially risky unless you, uh, you know, if you're just—and what I'm talking about, I guess, is—I definitely think it's possible, and I'm seeing it where people are coming into climbing. Um, bouldering exclusively um and basically climbing really you know at nationally elite levels within three and four years this is what i'm seeing like on a rope so they're Mm -hmm. coming straight out of the gym just bouldering all the time usually young um guys and girls quite young quite light and they're just getting on a rope and tearing it up and i find it very very inspirational um, totally and do i think that that might have been a a better way to go um for myself maybe but i gotta tell you I think climbing is all about psych. So what what are you what are you most psyched for? What do you what what are you super keen for? If I'm flicking through Instagram and when I see a when I see a picture of a boulder, unless it's really massive, I just flick past it. I don't even care. And that's because I 
personally, I'm not super psyched on bouldering. I never have been. The thing that gets me about climbing is typically if I, you know, think about all the early things that really, you know, made me super psyched about climbing, it was the the idea of exposure. It was Mm. the idea of height. It was the idea of feeling, feeling air, feeling airiness and being in an, being in an exposed and, and cool position. These were the things that really psyched me about climbing you know, early on and it stayed with me now. So I'm, you know, I love climbing it typically if I, if I have a short route or a long route, what am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the long route. That's because it hopefully it puts me in a, in a, you know, a cooler position, something that makes me feel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a certain way. And so, but the odd thing is that, you know, and we, we train, we, we, we get on the moon board, we do hard moves. I get completely psyched on that. Yeah, but when totally. I'm doing that, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be really awesome if this was 120 feet up a route? Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm thinking. So I get completely psyched on bouldery movement, but I want it to be on a route. If you just put it a foot off the ground, suddenly I'm not psyched. It's, it just seems boring to me. Mm-hmm. And that's a complete, I, I realize what I'm saying. I realize it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. But it simply is. That's just kind of where my, how my brain's wired. So, and somebody said to me just before I came away that, and we'd been we'd been talking and um, conversation much like this one, like looking at each other's weaknesses and um, mm-hmm. and figuring out what we wanted to do for the sort of the coming six months of training, um, which I think is really beneficial because as a self coached climber, it's really hard sometimes I think to um, zero in on your weaknesses. Yeah, um, and to have somebody looking at it from a external perspective, I think is really helpful. And he said to me um, that he believed that my bouldering potential was because I always just say, oh, I'm just a crappy boulder. I can't boulder, you know, I can't mm-hmm. pull hard moves. And he said that he believed, he said, I-, I believe your bouldering potential is completely unexplored. Yeah. That was the phrasing he yeah. used. And it's probably That's true. That's a really great way for him to say it too. Instead of just saying you need to boulder more. You just, you think you suck at it, but maybe you don't. Maybe Saying it, it that way sounds much more adventurous and exciting. It's it was a nice way to put it, and it just because it puts the puts the challenge back on or the onus back on back on me. Yeah. To say, okay, well, <clears throat> you don't know. Chances, are, yeah, you're not going to find out that you're a, that you're a V12 boulderer um, overnight, right? But you don't know. You don't know where you're you know, your, your three month potential is, you don't know where your six month or 12 month potential is for, for pulling hard moves. You don't know that, you know what you do on in the, in a, in a context of training, you know what you do on the moon board. Um, but even that to me is very, you know, I put a moon board in my house, um, when we, when we moved recently and I did it primarily for doing exactly what we're talking about, which is forcing me to do something that I wouldn't do yeah. myself yep. by choice because mm-hmm. for me at this point and i think for anybody that has you know let's even just use the you know six to ten years of training under that you know like so uh, somebody that's been in climbing for a little while i think the the enemy is routine this is what i'm learning for myself the enemy is routine so if you've been doing it for a while chances are it's probably the enemy try to do something that you wouldn't that you wouldn't naturally gravitate towards. Try to change the training stimulus is what I'm trying to tell myself. And the other big thing for me is rest. 
Yeah. I'm so psyched. Yep. Especially I, bouldering more, rest becomes even more important. And because it's not the stimulus you're used to, you know. It's it's tricky. It's it's interesting to me that how parallel our lives have run because I am very much the the person who loves the showdown at the chains. You know, I I want the hardest moves right before the chains. And I love that. That that gets me so excited. But I did a few years ago really come to grips with the fact that I'm terrible at doing really hard moves right off the ground. And I part of it is that I'm just not stoked to do hard moves off, off the ground and then glory jugs to the top. Just not stoked on that. But what if it were hard moves off the ground, continuous hard moves, and then another showdown at the chains? You know, that would be really exciting to me. And so I started working more and more on that, and that's led me into the the idea, the realization, and through talking to Nate quite a bit about my training and his training and realizing that the same thing, that my bouldering potential is unexplored. I really haven't spent much time trying hard boulders. I've touched one V11, you know. I've done several V10s, but touched one V11. That's it. And so my new goal for myself is V12, just to see how far I can push into that. As a root climber, do you find, how, how, do, you, how do you go with your... If you're setting yourself a big goal like that, how do you find your like when you're when you're packing in day after day, like you're going back to the project, back to the back to the V11, back to the V12, day after day? How do you find your psych levels? I don't know yet. That's I've not spent that much time on a boulder, or I've really only been on a couple of bouldering trips longer than a week. You know, so. I've been on zero bouldering trips longer than a week. Yeah, see, it's all unexplored here. It's unexplored. So it's it's exciting to me that there's this whole new area of climbing that I haven't explored. And part of that seems like low-hanging fruit, like, oh, I could really get better at this, and that's going to improve my overall climbing. And part of it is just excitement for this new adventure and learning new tactics and learning new ways to structure your day and things to pay attention to. And it's just, it's just like starting all over again. And like we said, like that first, that can be, if you're psyched for that, yeah. that can be the most exciting time. Yeah. The, the That formative, when you're still <clears throat> learning how to do all that stuff and coming into it with, hey, look, at least you don't have to, you know, you know how to climb things. So you're not coming in completely green yeah, you can take what you know, which is a certain amount, and now overlay it with all this new stuff. How to boulder hard? Um, yeah, it's 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 exciting, but it'll yeah. be it for, and I'll be I'll be watching with interest how you go with this. Yeah, um, so and will for I. my and for myself, <laughs> I, I, it would need it would need a mental switch, which is yet to happen. But I'm not ruling it out because I think it might be important. Like I think that. For myself, that I'm going to keep pushing you in that direction. It would be fun to have you over in <laughs> Australia trying the same things. We could, so. yeah, we could try and parallel something. It'd be, it'd be, well, it'd be, yeah, it'd be kind of cool because it sounds like we're, uh, yeah, kind of in a in a similar boat there. Yeah, and you know the thing, one of the things that really cemented this for me, I started to have this inkling a couple of months ago that oh maybe I could climb 
harder. You know, maybe I could climb harder boulders. And if I can do that, then that might lead to harder routes, especially around lander where oftentimes the hardest moves are right off the ground, you know. And I have a really difficult time with that. But I started looking online to see if I could find people who had done their first V12 after 40. And I'm sure there's someone out there. I don't know who they are. I can't find any evidence of it. Tell us, people. Yeah, my guess is it's out there. Um, But I did find a lot of chatter on those internet forums People saying, no way, can't be done. If you haven't climbed V12 by 40, you're never climbing V12. And and these are experienced boulders saying this. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. Red rack to a bull. Yeah. So that got me, that cemented it for me. That was like, okay, now you've got to put some effort into this. That sounds good. Yeah. Everyone loves to chat. I mean, why, why do we, we don't climb because it's easy. Right. Not at all. Not even in the slightest. And that's, you know, that that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you in general was because I love seeing you put these these moonboard videos up. You're the only person I will ever say I love watching your moonboard videos, just so you know. I know how much you hate them. No one will ever hear that come out of my mouth again. But I love that you put those up and you you don't just put up the sins. You know, you put up the, the moonboard struggles. and I put up the failures <clears throat> on the low-grade problems. Yeah. That's what... And in fact, all, all my harder sends, which are not hard, um, m- most of those don't go up. I, what I find... I, I, I want to put up the reality. We just talked yeah. about this yep. stuff. I want to I put up stuff... Because I know when people get on moonboard, and I know some good climbers, particularly, you know, and we're talking like root climbers that don't boulder that pretty much can't do... These are good climbers. So, these are like mm-hmm. 13C climbers that yep. can't do anything, anything on the moon board. Right. Like can barely pull off the mat. Right. So, <clears throat> I'm quite happy to show that, you know, I'm a, a, around that level uh, root climber. Me falling off a V4 or falling off a V5 or something on the moon board, I'm quite happy to post that because it's reality. Like right. I, I, totally. I, you know, and I'm getting better. It's, you know, I've been doing it for a while now. I think I've got it like done eight or 900 problems or something on the, on the board. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm getting better, but it's a slow struggle. And I'm really, you know, I'm all too happy to show my, you know, show all my, my weak areas in, mm-hmm. in my climbing. And it's people, some people, you know, a, a lot of people would just skip past it. Oh, more moonboard videos. I want to see that. But some people are really... You know, and, and I think it's heartening for climbers because there's a lot of climbers out there. Like, I'm going to say like, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of climbers that are going to boulder way stronger than me on the moon board, but they probably look at my climbing and the routes that I send and go, wow, this guy's fallen off this V5 on the moon board, which I can right. like do up and down barefoot and whatever. And, but he's climbing this climb that's like way outside. It, it, so it shows it shows the amazing sport that climbing yeah, is. Totally. Um, you don't necessarily <clears throat> the amazingly let's let's use the term weak people that can get up what would be considered really hard routes. How do mm-hmm. they do it? Tactics. Yep. Um, you know, finessing their way through things. Using you don't have to have. There's so much focus at the moment on things like. There always has been, but more so with things like, um, you know, there's a lot of profiling tools out there now for right. things like uh, for finger strength and how much of your body weight can you hang off an edge and 
um, on on a single hand and all, all these things, these profiling metrics. And look, I'm a geek, so I find that stuff really interesting. Yeah, totally. And I'm I'm really interested in it. And <clears throat> and you'll you'll see me do some of that stuff. And and I'm I'm because I'm I'm trying to find my own weaknesses and try to attack those. But at the same time, what you know, what a lot of the research is saying, a lot of people that are putting together these numbers is that the 513 climbers are posting up similar numbers than the 514, 515 climbers. Yep. This is what we're seeing. So in general, you, you're not seeing a linear progression of strength against roots scent or the difficulty of roots scent. We are not seeing that. Yep. So there is an X factor. Yep. There are these factors that aren't being measured or can't be measured or I don't know. I mean, maybe they can someday be measured, but right now we're not able to measure those things. They're just things that you've learned and cultivated, you know, throughout years of climbing. Some people do it very quickly. They learn great tactics quickly. Some people like me, it takes me three quarters of my climbing career. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess it, I just get, it, what it does for me is it gives me heart that there isn't a one-size-fits-all right. approach Absolutely. to progression. Yeah, This is why people like you and your profession in, in terms of, of coaching and, and offering guidance to climbers exist because um, it, we can't just simply publish a paper. We can't simply pu you know put out a PDF that says this is the way to do it. Right. This is You can put out a PDF that says this is a way that worked for this guy yep. or this girl. This, this is it. And, and it, it really, it does give me heart that People can approach it from all sides. Uh, they can, you know, they can come to root climbing from bouldering. They can go to bouldering from root climbing. Sorry, guys, if you're doing that, that's, uh, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You can really approach it from different ways, and and the training aspect and and the the way you progress um, is is not going to follow necessarily a uh, you know a standardized approach in the way that for example it might with with somebody like a track and field athlete or a swimmer mm -hmm. it's not going to be that it's it's a skill sport it's more complex than that um and the sport rewards these x factors like you know i'll put the quotes up try hard you know that idea of trying hard it's very hard to the and and, and mental strength on a on a route is something that you cannot put a price on yeah. and people with there are you know these who might be posting up you know if they go through these profiling processes um you know with one of these um companies that are out there and get profiled and they might have really weak numbers you know the, the numbers might be telling a certain story well guess what their scorecard's telling another because they got something else right you know they're trying really hard they're laying it all down on the rock they're putting a hundred percent in and they can do it and and look we, we sometimes have those sends and, and people listening will have had those sends where they put in a hundred and it leaves you feeling, it feels amazing and you send and you say to yourself, why can't I do that every route? Right. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, like I want to do it every route. I find it so mentally taxing and exhausting to do that on a big pitch, to, to lay it all down, to leave nothing behind. Um, that it only ever comes out, you know, maybe it comes out a few times a season. And those are magic moments, and it's why we climb. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had the tools to cultivate that? And right. some of us are lucky enough that naturally it comes out nearly every time we mm -hmm. tie in. Those are the guys and girls that they got something. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. I think that's... I mean, that's the best advice for any person who's coaching themselves is try and cultivate that mental toughness, that try hard, and understand your own climbing and where the where the weaknesses in your game are instead of just where the weaknesses in your body are. I think that's huge. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. See you next time. Oz 2020. I'll be there. All right. Turned out Oz 2019 was more appropriate. Um, like I said, Lee and Sam talked us into it. It wasn't very difficult. Going over there and hanging out with them seemed like a really, really fun thing to do. And I'm incredibly glad that I did and that I had more time to sit down and talk to and get to know and philosophize with Lee. He's got a really great outlook on not only progression in the sport, but progression through following what you're most stoked on. You know, it's really easy to look at the way that coaches like myself or that other athletes have said, here's the best way that that worked for me. Here's what you need to do to get to this level. But instead of just following that blindly, Lee has said, here's what I'm really psyched on doing. Here's what keeps me really motivated, keeps me really happy. And I'm going to do that and continue to try to progress in that. And he's done that. I got to belay him on his first Rifle 13A onsite just recently, actually, when they were in the States visiting Rifle. And Lee, as a gift, um, a congratulatory gift for your Rifle 13A onsite, the next episode, even though I'm not done with all of the Oz episodes, there are a few more to come, even though I'm not done, the next episode is going to be ravioli biceps moonboard champion of the world just for you so for all of you out there go follow lee on instagram especially if you're a moonboard aficionado follow his stories constant moonboard posting in there he's now got both moonboard setups in his garage absurd really but i know the kind of frothers all you moonboard people are So go do it. And if you want to know more about Lee and his history in Australia, which stretches way back and includes a host of FAs in a bunch of different areas, a couple of FAs I got to do with him in Australia while we were there in the Blue Mountains. Anyhow, there is a great episode over at Baffle Days with host Tom O'Halloran. You should definitely go check that out. And I know that he recently recorded an EnormaCast with host Chris Caloose. So be on the lookout for that soon as well. In the meantime, until this Ravioli Biceps episode comes out, you can find us at PowerCompanyClimbing.com, on the Facebook, on the Instagram, at PowerCompanyClimbing. And you can search for us on the Twitter. You're not going to find us because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this